Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, the Bucks at the Saints. We're going to break down the game and tell you our predictions, not just for that game, but for the whole season. And what is the status of Mike Evans for Sunday's game? And what will the offense look like if he can't play? And whose offense is this anyway? Is it Tom Brady's or Bruce Arians? We've got all that and your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of a Football Friday Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. And Steve, before we get to all the football talk, uh, we've got some news on the Tampa Bay Lightning came down on Thursday. Alex Kalorn suspended one game for his hit on uh, the Islanders' Brock Nelson. Um, you know, usually, I mean, when you, when you serve a, a game misconduct like that, a lot of times, especially in the postseason, you don't also get another game. So particularly what when was that occurred reason? five to six minutes into the game early. Yeah. So you basically essentially he missed games. the whole game. Right. Uh, you know, and I didn't think it was as bad as the hit on Yanni Gord in the Boston series. So I I was surprised that there was a suspension. I mean, I, it, look, if that would have happened in the third period in you know, 10 minutes to go, then maybe mm-hmm. a suspension. I thought that mm-hmm. may warrant it. I mean, Nelson did come back in the game, uh, much like Yanni Gord did too in, in, in that Boston right. series when, you know, when he took the hit. It's a similar type hit. I don't think yeah. it was as, as egregious as the, the one on Gord, but both were bad plays and deserved penalties and, and that. But I was surprised that he got a one-game suspension for it, considering that he missed 54 minutes of the game. Um, right. You know, but I, you know, I, it, look, that's the type of hits the NHL is trying to clean up. Is is a headshot? They're trying well, to eliminate the headshot. The, the unsuspecting, the guy who's already given up the puck. It's mm-hmm. not that split second where you know he gave it up right before right. you hit him. There's enough time right. where you could have pulled up, you didn't. He's looking the other way, not suspecting a hit, and and yeah. it's that close to the boards. I mean, that's that's what they're trying to get rid of. Is you know, it's not the hit where right as you're getting rid of the puck, you've hit him. Then that's not what they're trying to get rid of. It's the ones where the guy's completely defenseless because he's, you know, Yanni Gord's case and in, in the case of Brock Nelson, their heads turn and they're going up the ice a different direction. You're not expecting to get hit like that. Um, and so they're trying to clean that up. So I get that part of it. But I was surprised that he got a game suspension out of it. Well, uh, and we still don't know about Braden Point because that injury, uh, they didn't have uh, really any kind of practice or anything like that. So Thursday was uh, an off day, so Coop says yeah. uh, we'll talk to him tomorrow and see, which, yeah. come on, <laughs> Coop knows. Yeah. He knows. But they don't well, have to give an update because it, technically it's an off day. It's for not the required, players, so, right. Yeah. It's an off day, so there's no And there's in hockey, no there's really no requirements on updates anyway. They never do. Do you think that I mean it, I'm guessing that it was a concussion like thing or that he got hit in the head? I think uh, it was a lower body works. thing. I think Oh, you do. Uh, okay. Based on the way that he struggled to get over the boards after he came back out. You mentioned the, the hip, period, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that you know, I don't know hip or knee or ankle or yeah. you know, I, you know, I don't I don't know what it could be, but it it sure uh, if it was a head thing, I don't think they would have let him go back out in the second period. Right, right. 
you know, or, you know, maybe once he went back out, it flared up, but he struggled to get over the boards as, as he left in the second period, uh, taking what one or two shifts there. And, and it just, he had trouble getting his legs like over the board. So I wondered if it was something lower body, but now that would be terrible because of course his whole game is speed. And, uh, we mentioned the hip injuries that he had to overcome a year ago. So, um, Braden Point has, you know, been as as valuable a player as they've had. I mean, there's there's several of them, right? Victor Hedman, Nikita Kucherov, in terms of their offense. So, um, if he can't play, does that mean that uh, that they're going to have to look for goals from somebody else? Well, you're already eleven. You win eleven and seven. So, if you don't have Kalorn and Point for this game, that means you assume Stevens and Verhege slot in. Mm-hmm. Maybe you go back to twelve six just to have an extra forward there in case if Stevens Verhage are struggling. Maybe it's an, an Alex Volkoff or a Matthew Joseph comes in. Maybe right. you stay eleven seven because it's worked. But you're probably going to juggle the line significantly um, without point on that top line. I mean, who do you play with Cooch? You probably keep Palat with them. Maybe Johnson goes up there. We Maybe did see, yeah. We did see the old, that the old trip for a shift right? or two in the third period, I believe. Yeah. Um, you know, Sorelli could slide up there. He he slid up there when Point missed some time, so possibly Sorelli slides up. And but I, I think, you know, if if Point's in, you'll see the lines probably stay a little closer, and you'll just figure out how to replace Kalorn there. Um, Stevens Verhage probably slot in. You probably stay eleven seven. If both are out, then I think you're going to see some major line jumbles and and maybe throughout the games because you're trying to find the combinations that are working. All right. Well, game three will will be tonight, of course, and the Lightning with the 2-0 lead. Um, they could pretty much put this series away with another win uh, here tonight. It's going to be tough as it is on the Islanders having to win four out of the next five. So the math is not good um, for New York. But uh, the big thing the, right now with the Lightning is, is the injuries. Obviously. Yeah, I think the injuries. And then the question is, you know, how does how does Houston – or uh, Houston. I'm, look, I looked up at the television with the <laughs> – We're watching yeah. the Texans, yeah. Um, but how does the Islanders respond? Uh, you know, after, okay, you got embarrassed in game one, but there's a lot of reasons for it. And you kind of write up, it's one game. The series starts now as, you know, we're settled in now in Edmonton. You play really well and you take a gut punch with 8.8 seconds to go. Um, now, Barry Trotz's teams aren't one to, you know, tuck their tail and run. So you assume they'll give a, a, a pretty good effort. But, you know, at what point do th- does it, you know, here's the thing. The Lightning didn't play very well that game. I mean, they they, they battled. And this is what we talk about with the Lightning being a, a different team than years past, is they were struggling a lot on offense, some of the passing and puck possession and all that stuff. But they gave up 15 shots five-on-five five play in that game. That's it. Yeah. I mean, they they have truly – they can play a lockdown defense when they need to. Again, they gave up one goal, even strength, in that game. Right, and I mean, the power play was phenomenal, but you you Mm -hmm. mentioned it. I mean, here's the thing. They can't be taking these penalties. You just can't be having to kill off five-minute majors and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. know, five-on-threes and things like this because five-on-five throughout this entire postseason, they've had the edge on any team they've played, and I think they would for the rest of the postseason. If they can stay out of the penalty box, I think that that no one's going to beat them. They're still known as that team that run and guns and, and scores a mm-hmm. lot because they led the league in scoring again this year. Mm-hmm. But if you really look at, at their style of play, and, and I can't remember which player on the other team um, was was talking about it, but it was, you know, look, the Lightning, you know, in years past, the, the, the book on them was be physical. Absolutely. Take it to them. Well, this year, they take it to you. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that the book for the last couple of years that Columbus used last year in Washington in the playoffs the year before, that that book doesn't work necessarily in the light. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't try. It doesn't mean you can't have some success. But this is a completely different Lightning team physically, mentally, and the type of style they're playing. I mean, I think Nikita Kucherov's had a phenomenal playoffs. And, yes, and yes, yes, the scoring has been part in the offensive, you know, his creativity. But his defensive play this playoffs, I think, has been really good. His his back checking, back checking, and four checking, yeah. and and mm-hmm. and all that. His defensive responsibility has been very good in this playoffs. He's been right. he's been a lot better than we've seen him for stretches of time, in in a long time. I mean, you know, he can he can play that, but but you know, in the regular season, he's heading up ice a lot, and you know, mm-hmm. and you can get away with that in the regular season because you know the, the stakes aren't as high, right? But this playoffs, he has been. And like I said, he gets the credit for the offense and the goals and the last second goal in that. But if you really look at the way he's played defensive, responsible hockey throughout this playoffs, it's been wonderful to see. And this is this is this is Nikita Kucherov being a complete superstar now. He's not just sitting yeah. on. I mean, that's what you know. Alex Ovechkin had to go through, and, and Barry Trotz helped him become a much better defensive player. And, and and you know that doesn't mean you're not taking shots up the ice. It doesn't mean you're not being creative and scoring goals. But if you take care of your own end, you're going to have more opportunities at the other end. And it, it, right. it, sometimes it takes players a while to figure that out and to understand it. And and he's with he's playing with good players that do that too, with Andre Pilat and Braden Point, who are very right. responsible defensively and are, are very skilled offensively as well. So you know that kind of rubs off on you too. Where look, my line mates are busting their butts playing defense too. I'm going to do the same, and then we're going to be creative and come up the ice together. And, and they've had tremendous success this playoffs. Yeah, it's been a buy-in, I think, for Kucherov mm-hmm. and, and this whole team um, to do whatever it takes, uh, you know, to to uh, you know to win. Instead of, um, you know, they were always the pretty passing team, the you know the tic tac toe, the um, you know watch how fast we are kind of team. And now they're all willing to kind of grind it out. And when those defensemen pinch up the way they do, and they're so good at it, look what the offense are getting from those guys. Um, you know, somebody's got to be back there to help them out. So, and nine of your twelve wins are by one or one goal. Nine of the twelve. Wow. Mm-hmm. Since the restart, I mean, that's that just shows you the type of hockey they're playing. They're they're able to play in those tight, close games, and they're coming through in the end. It also tells you that you got a pretty good goaltender. Absolutely, and and he's playing very well. I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's kept them in a couple games too, where they've given up some rushes, and then that, mm-hmm. um, particularly last night, even early, um, you know, he kept them in that game, including part of that five minute power play, and then the five on three late. Well, too. and that was yeah, that was the thing. Like if you watch the reaction after that game was over, yeah, everybody was all over Kucherov, and it was a great pass by McDonough and all of that. But what I saw were a bunch of guys head to their goaltender and say, "Hey, man." We killed off all those penalties, and we know the best penalty killer is your goaltender. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't go a five-minute, uh, you know, a five-minute major and, and get out of there with a zero without that guy making some great saves. And um, and he did it all night. The you know, the five on three. I mean, that that won the game. If you can't take advantage of that um, as a hockey team in the playoffs, you're probably going to lose. And and they did. And you know, the Islanders, you know, let let the Lightning hang around. And and so the first game, you know, okay long trip you're the tired team you got it handed to you so so that that summons your pride so they you know that's a prideful loss but then they come back and they play as you know really as forceful a game as they could but they don't get the win that now that's that's demoralizing now you're having to deal with a different emotion 
to try to get yourself back into gear in game three. And this is this is really do or die for them. I mean, they can make this a series with a win. Um, but they go down 3-0, they're not going to get to the Stanley Cup finals, I don't think. So, um, you know, you think you got your best punch from them the first five or six minutes the other night. Well, now you're going to see survival mode, and it's probably going to last longer than the just first five or six minutes. Well, they, they always say a playoff series doesn't start till someone loses a home game. So, you know, this one's an this Islanders is, home yeah. game in game three. So That's we'll right. see. <laughs> one way or the other, right? Yeah. I don't know it's if that, that axiom uh, holds up in uh, in 2020 <laughs> since we're all at the, yeah, in the bubble. Are. but. Right, right. Well, you're a national anthem singer against ours. That's what it comes down to. All right, let's talk about the Bucks. There's a big game on Sunday, and I mean a big game. There hasn't been a game this big uh, involving a Bucks team, a regular season game, since I would say after the Super Bowl, and I remember this uh, because John Gruden was so furious that it happened, was after they won the Super Bowl and you know going to uh, the NFC Championship game, they beat Philadelphia and closed out the vet. Well, then the next year, the first game of the season, first Monday night game of the season was Bucks at Philadelphia instead of the Bucks hosting, but they were opening the link, Lincoln Financial Stadium and or field or whatever they call it up there. And um and the Bucks looked great. And they went up there and they won again and their defense was great and Joe Jurovicious made a circus catch and John Madden said, you know, here's a team that may never may win three in a row, you know, that kind of thing. And then the wheels fell off and we know what happened in two thousand and three season. Um but the anticipation, uh, um, I can't remember anything like this, you know, pandemic notwithstanding. It's going to be weird. We're going to have an empty Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Um, you know, I I think there's going to be, um, you know, a totally different feel to that game because of that. But Tom Brady as a Buccaneer, the first game in 20 seasons since he, you know, he was in New England winning six Super Bowls, going to nine of them against Drew Brees and what could – most likely be as his last year. These two guys are forty-one and forty-three years old. It's 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 a they will make history, win or lose, um, on Sunday because there's never been two forty-year-old starting quarterbacks in an NFL game. Uh, and and the interesting thing about it is that you know, um, you know these two guys are both capable of taking their teams to the Super Bowl and winning it. I mean, Drew Brees has won the NFC South three years in a row, and if not for you know, uh, a bad no call and, and different things that have gone on, they probably could have gone to two more Super Bowls. But, um, you know, Breeze spoke the other day and he said, look, I'm, I'm playing on borrowed time. Um, I'm going to let it rip. You know, he, I think it's fairly well known that this is more than likely, almost certainly his last year. There was some debate about, you know, whether he's going to play anyway this season. Whereas we know Tom Brady plans to play until at least through 2021 uh, and then we'll see. He's talked about playing until he's 45 years old. And you know what? I think he's capable of it um, if he can get you know through a season unscathed without any catastrophic injuries or things, that, things like that. Um, but we talked to Sean Payton the other day, and and Payton, uh, you know, made a point, and I, I asked Brady about it too. Uh, is that you know both Brady and Breeze are workout you know uh, kind of kind of obsessive workout guys that, uh, you know, the nutrition, the rest and recovery. You know, Breeze goes out to San Diego with Joe Durkin, who's a trainer. Um, You know, we know that Tom Brady has Alex Guerrero and the plyometrics and all that stuff, TB12 brand, the immunity pills, whatever whatever the heck he does. But, you know, that sort of thing has enabled them to play well past, you know, anything that, 
we've seen before in the NFL. And in fact, you know, even Sean Payton referenced the fact that, you know, go back, remember that famous picture of in Super Bowl one of uh, Len Dawson smoking a heater before the game in the locker room. <laughs> I mean, that was just, you know, that's then and this is now. Now they're eating avocado ice cream. But there's something to that. And, you know, just in, in, in talking to, uh, I talked to Byron Relefage, just talked to some people about it, and, and Peyton said this. He goes, look, you know, these this is probably going to catch on. You know, um, there's so much information about about rest and recovery about sleep studies about um hydration and you know um, these guys are constantly monitored and i don't mean necessarily just the covid stuff but like they um you know nutrition is such a big deal these days that um, players are going to play longer and at that position i think if you can if you can battle the physical deterioration which normally occurs right in, in your 30s at some point and I'm not talking about guys that get, you know, get leveled when they're, you know, David Carr's that get the hell beat out of them when they're rookies on bad teams. But if you're able to, um, you know, survive um, the early part of your career and you have a lot of talent, by the time you figure it out, right, by the, by the time that you've seen every defense, um, you pre-snap, post-snap, nothing surprises you anymore. You know, you have the cheat sheet. You know where to go with the, with the ball. By that time, your 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 physical skills have deteriorated, or they're starting to. The arm is weak. Maybe the legs aren't so good. Maybe you don't have functional mobility in the pocket, uh, and it's difficult for you to escape pressure. Uh, but but these guys have managed to keep all that, or what they had. I mean, you know, Tom Brady wasn't the best athlete coming out of Michigan in the first place. He's actually a better athlete now than he was then. Um, and so, I think we, you know, I, I mean. We've heard Russell Wilson says, I want to play till I'm 45. You know, um, Aaron Rodgers, and I don't know what Aaron Rodgers does, but he looks like he's in pretty good shape. He wants to play till he's at least 40. I think you're going to see this. I think you're going to see more quarterbacks um, because that that position, the experience at that position means so much, you know, to uh, to success. It really does. I mean, and, and look, the science and everything else behind it, whether it's TB12 or just in general with athletes, in, in a position that's protected like the quarterback position is. That's a great point you know, right there. You're not taking the hits. You're that's not, right. You the know, rules changes have yeah, made every difference. Mm-hmm. It's made it a lot easier as a quarterback mm-hmm. um, You know, to where your, your career can go a lot longer. Um, that's right. You, you know, and, it's, and the game has gotten so fast – that it's the mental part of the game that really is what separates the average quarterbacks from the elite ones. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Brady understands the game at mm-hmm. an elite level. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Peyton yeah. Manning. I mean, you know, Drew Brees. It's right. You know, it's the mental part. There's a lot of guys that can throw the ball hard and throw it into windows. It's, it's, I'm glad you, you said can that. Can you read the defense? Can you understand what the defense is going to do? Can you mm-hmm. understand how to put your guys in the best spot? And, mm-hmm. and and as the defense is playing this way, my guy's running this route, where do I put the ball? Do I put it at his back shoulder? Do I lead him? Do I put it on the ground where he's sliding? Where do right. I put that ball? I mean, O.J. Howard talked about that. Right. And we've talked about this on the podcast when, you know, he's running and he's looking back and Tom said, stop looking back at me. You're slowing down. Run. run. Right. Right. I will put it where it needs to be. You mm-hmm. just run to run the route and turn and the ball will be there. Trust me. It'll be on your head. He's, yep. he's at that level elite where he can throw the ball exactly where he wants it to be, where only you're going to catch it and the defender can't. 
And and it's that mental part of the game that separates and, and, and the quickness of it. It's not just right. understanding how fast it, but you can process it. Yeah. Yes. How fast can you you know Peyton Manning, you know, calling audibles and changing everything around on you know, we've it's legendary of him, you know, changing everything right there at the line of scrimmage because he's processing it so quick. Um you know, it, yep. it's it's that level of quarterback play that, that separates them and because of the restrictions on hitting quarterbacks and the safety that they put behind them because of how important it is that you can play a long time if you can, you know, if you can keep the, the athletic part of the skills up, your mental right. skills should be fine. Yeah, they'll be sharper. And, 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 you know, like when you're talking about, you know, making decisions, look, Jameis Winston has plenty of physical ability, right? Um, he's a guy that can drive the ball, throws, you know, got great escapability, really works hard, cares about mm-hmm. being successful. I mean, it was never about work ethic with him. Good teammate, um, charismatic, happy, all, you know, for the most part. What what gets him is there's something about you know when you when you have to make a quick twitch decision sometimes he's not as fast as he needs to be and you know that's one of those things where maybe experience helps you um, I think quarterbacks that come into the league and have to play right away I think that's difficult for them um, not that I, I I'm a firm believer that you get better by playing not necessarily by sitting but I think I think sometimes if you have the luxury of being behind a quarterback who's done it for a while and you can see him go out there in, you know, input a game plan, then um, execute that game plan. And then when things don't go right, come back in on Monday and figure out how to fix it. I think when you get to see that and go through that process, it makes you a better player. When you're worried about your team winning or you're the reason why they have to win. And, you know, Jameis fell into this thing. And I think a lot of high round picks do, they go to the Mm -hmm. worst teams in football and they have a a savior complex. Everybody's waiting for them to save the franchise. Oh, we got Jameis Winston. We're on our way. You know, or oh, we got David Carr, or oh, we got this first round pick. And it's it just really doesn't work like that once you get on the field. There's well, a process you have to go through to well, learn what to do. Let's look at Tom Brady. And and granted, he had a lot of success early in his career, but it wasn't because he was throwing the ball all over the field and winning those games. No, you know, he had a good defense. And they had a very conservative game plan and a good running game. And Belichick, Belichick, uh, hiding's not the right word, but put Brady in positions to, to succeed. To be successful, yeah. Not to do more than he has to. I mean, you know, one of the issues Jameis had here in, in Tampa Bay is he never had a good defense. No. And or so, a very good running game. For well, and a running game, too. But, but when you constantly feel like you have to outscore the other team and get 30 yeah, points tough. a game, that yeah. makes it hard to grow and develop as a quarterback. I mean, Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady when he started, nor was Peyton Manning no. or any of these guys. It's That's th- right. That experience, but their success earlier in their career, particularly winning games, was because mm-hmm. they had they had an organization that was built to help them win. And, and, you know, Russell Wilson, his first year, was a good quarterback, but he's a lot better now than he was the first couple years. And, and Pete Carroll had great plans for him, and, and they had a good team around him to – to help him grow defense. and develop. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have to win games early in his career. Tom Brady mm-hmm. didn't have to win a lot of games early in his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and, and, and when he stepped in for an injured Drew Bledsoe. So, you know, part of, you know, the Jameis problem was he felt like he had to win every game by 30, you know, score 30 points just to, to be in the game. And, you know, yeah. and he and actually, so, when he, he actually hurt himself because what, what started happening was he would, he would make bad decisions in the first quarter and get down 10. And then that put his defense in a bad position when a lot of times the defense wasn't able to handle that. You know, they couldn't, they just couldn't be down 10 points. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and bad field position right off the bat. Of course, last year was the outlier 
you know, with all the pick sixes on the first possession. And I mean, Jameis had a lot of issues. Look, it wasn't it wasn't simply the guys around him, but a young quarterback having to play right away in that situation doesn't do very well. And and so, you know, and and then you have a guy, you know, you have a guy like Brady, um, who, you know, and I and, and this has been this is the thing we're all gonna be looking for, right? Like what does Tom Brady look like not playing in a Patriots offense, not playing for Bill Belichick, um, you know, playing in, in BA's offense, which has been traditionally a down the field, no risk it, no biscuit kind of thing. Everybody wants to know what is this offense gonna look like? And I wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times um, on Friday. And the reality, because I talked to BA about this, and they've had collaboration. And, and of course, you do that with every quarterback. I mean, you're not going to shoehorn, you know, a concept or uh, an offense, you know, to a quarterback who isn't either A, capable of doing it, or B, really all that excited about what he's doing. But with Brady, who's played forever and has won everything, you're obviously going to ask him, you know, and, and this happens every week with every quarterback. Do you like this? What do you like on third and six? What do you like on second and four? What do you like against this front? What do you like against in this in this personnel grouping? And so you arrive at sort of a point where, you know, it's a little like, uh, you know, the catcher suggests what pitch the pitcher should throw. But if the pitcher isn't committed to throwing it, guess what? It's not going to be a very good pitch. The pitcher really calls the game, right? At the end of the day, uh, if he wants to throw a slider, he probably should throw the slider. Um, so, you know, that, that's sort of where, where kind of where this has, has occurred. And when I talked to Brady about it, like, what are we ultimately going to see? And he said, look, I try to keep football very simple. And you can do this when you've played 20 years. He goes, you know, if they're dropping guys back and I got people open underneath, I throw it short. If they're playing up on us and no one's over the top, I throw it deep. Um, if they're playing us to the outside, I throw it to the inside. If they played us on the inside, I throw it outside. If they're, you know, uh, playing zone and they give us the running game, we're going to run the ball. If they, you know, move up in the box, we're probably going to play action. You know, they're too aggressive. Like, and it sounds just that simple, but that's how simple he's boiled the game down. He, you know, he is going to keep his offense, um, you know, he's going to counter whatever the defenses do and in, 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 to a large extent. And you hear coaches say this all the time, the defense determines where the ball goes. And Tom you know, in talking to Arians is like the best guy to get through, not one, not two, not three, but his fourth progression and sometimes gets to it almost as the ball is snapped. He can talk, he can see the rotation of the defense. He knows where the open guy is going to be and he's perfectly fine, which is why you see so many throws to the running backs. He's perfectly fine um, if they're going to play off guys to to get the ball in the playmaker's hands, move the chains, and then play another down. And I think you're still going to see and this is what my conclusion was, is that, and Arians too, he's like, look, he has the ball. It's his offense. I mean, yeah, you're calling the terminology that, that belongs to Arians, and, and Tom had to use, learn that because they weren't going to teach 22 other guys. And, and he still is a little nervous from what I understand. He's a little, like, somewhat freaked out about the fact that they've never played a game, and now they're going into a place where, you know, these games count, and it's live, and it's tackled to the ground, and it's all this stuff. Um, and he's not had to make a real-time check at the line of scrimmage where if a guy isn't in the right position, guess what? He's going to get blown up or the running back or, you know. So the communication is something that bothers him. Uh, I, I know he knows the offense, but, you know, there's a difference between being able to communicate that, you know, with the play clock and everything going around. So it's going to be – it's not going to be as good, 
obviously the the first game as I think they'll be you know in December if he's still standing. Um, but I have a feeling that they're going to be okay. That he he's he's got enough chemistry with his players. And then the other thing too, and Peyton referenced this, like they've not seen Tom Brady in this offense. They have to kind of make some calculations. I mean, you're really you're really kind of figuring out on the fly, you know, trying to anticipate what what the Bucks offense will look like. It's going to look more like what Brady did at New England than what Jameis did here last year. All right, finally, uh, on Mike Evans, we'll find out today a little bit more about him. He did not practice on Thursday. Did see him out, though. The Bucks were inside while Mike Evans was outside with their trainer, Bobby Slater, um, doing some, um, I say, stretching, if you were, some high knee kicks, a little bit of light running. He's got a hamstring injury. We know that, and he was prone to those throughout his career, especially last year. He missed the last three games, really four, because he went out early against Detroit. Uh, in that game up there. But um, from what I've gathered, talking to coaches and, and people around the Bucks, is that I would expect him to play um, unless he has a setback. Because, you know, they do so much running in training camp and it's so hot and you try to keep these guys hydrated, but you're always prone to soft tissue injuries if you're somebody, a defensive back. You know, they got two defensive backs. Parnell Motley, I think, has a hamstring. Um, he's back practicing now, but he missed about a week and a half. They had a bunch of guys that run a lot that, you know, had soft tissue injuries because the, you know, you just, you just run and you sweat so much. Um, but the watching Mike move around, like he was moving around pretty good. Right. And you wouldn't have been doing these kind of things with somebody that you thought, yeah, let's, let's get him off that hamstring. Let's not, let's not try that. I think that, that BA is being really, really cautious with guys uh, that have anything, especially guys who run a lot. Mike had a thousand snaps. Um, even in this abbreviated training camp. And he knows what the game plan is, and he knows what he would have to do. So he could practice today, or he could practice maybe in the walkthrough Saturday, uh, or it could just be a game-time decision. I think if it's really bothering him, they're not going to play him because you don't want to have a situation where he goes out there and now he's out four or five weeks if he really tears that thing, uh, or maybe for the season. So you got to be careful and smart. Um, but I get the sense that he's going to be okay. We'll find out. It definitely will change uh, you know, their attack. I mean, you know, Justin Watson is Mike's backup and he's about the same size. He's gotten faster. We know that, um, you know, but until he does it consistently in games, um, there's a drop off there. So you say, well, do you go more too tight end? Well, the base is going to be too tight end. You might have to lean more on Gronkowski. You might have to have that third receiver uh, be your tight end, or maybe Scotty Miller gets in the mix early. You know, you just don't know. Um, but it would be a blow to not have Mike Evans, on the field with uh, with Tom Brady in that first game, I I just simply think that um, they're being cautious. I mean, it's kind of like you know JPP has done nothing this week, and you say, well, wait a minute, why is Jason Pierre-Paul not practicing? Well, because he had off-season knee scope right before training camp, and the one thing we know about JPP because we've seen him do it, he missed six weeks last year, and then came in and had eight and a half sacks in ten games. His first snap last season was a sack. JPP knows what he's supposed to do. And he's done it really well for a number of years in this league. So for him, and I think B.A. does a great job with veterans, it's all about, you know, can you give these guys rest? Can you get them there on Sunday? Um, you know, and, and I think that's sort of what's going on with Evans. But we'll see. We'll know more about it um, today. So you can check out all of that on uh, TampaBay.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, let's get to your mailbag questions here. We'll wrap up this podcast with those, and uh, we're ready to go. All right, David asks, if the Rays or Lightning win in a COVID-shortened season, you've said there could be an asterisk in some people's mind. Is there a case to be made that it was actually a greater achievement to win in this environment where there is so much unknown and difficult? Yeah, I definitely do. I, I, I think there is. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be asterisks necessarily next to either of them. If there were, I would think that would I would tend to think that would be baseball more than hockey. Um, you can correct me, uh, Steve, but they were pretty much towards the end of the hockey mm-hmm. season. The restart didn't help those teams obviously i mean it really didn't they they had to take all that time off it took them a while to get there it's not hockey's not something you can practice like if you're in tampa all that much so they needed time to get their legs back but i think the level of play if you watch these these playoffs i think it's been extraordinary yes those guys are in a bubble so you know if you want to nitpick and say well they didn't have to travel and they didn't have to face you know home ice uh crowds and and you know um, that favored maybe the skill team or the better teams. I, I don't care what you want to do. You can do that all you want to. I think um, just from watching these these games that whoever wins the Stanley Cup, nobody's going to say, hey, put an asterisk by it. See, I, I don't think there should be an asterisk by it for the simple fact that every team had to do the same thing. That's right. I mean, an asterisk we think of like when the Astros Houston cheat, Astros, That's or right. Barry mm-hmm. Bonds' home run record, or That's you know right. things like that, where you want to say there's an asterisk by it, and it's mm-hmm. because it, it, you put the asterisk because you question whether it's legit. I don't That's question right. whether whoever wins the Stanley Cup is legit. Every team's going through the same, the same thing. Whether it was an 82 game regular season straight to the playoffs, or a 68 to 70 game season, a four month, five month pause, and then you're all in a bubble playing. Every team mm-hmm. had to do the same thing. So to me, I mean, is it different? Okay, sure. But is it an asterisk? Asterisk to me means that there was an unfair advantage or an alleged potential advantage. You know, did the Astros cheat in the World Series in 17 or to get right. there? You know, and that's why or, you might put an asterisk by that. Or Barry Bonds, if you think he juiced and, and mm-hmm. say, you know, that's an illegitimate home run record. Okay. Or 73 home runs, whatever. You know, the asterisk is because something was different or wrong or an unfair advantage. Nobody has an uh, has an unfair advantage in the bubble or to the 60-game schedule that baseball is doing. It, you know, every team's going through the exact same thing. So, you know, to me, I, I don't see an asterisk. I mean, are you going to note that it's, it, it, this was a weird season? Sure, absolutely. But an asterisk, to me, I just I don't get that. No, you're right. And it's usually an extraordinary circumstance and this would not this would not be one. I mean, they all did have the same competitive advantage or disadvantage whatever the case may be. Baseball, eh, I don't think there'll be an asterisk by that either because everybody played under the same rules, but I will say they did change baseball for this. I mean, first of all, Major League Baseball has never been a 60-game season. There's a reason mm-hmm. why it's it's more than 150 and has been for years and years and and lately 162, which you could argue maybe that's too many. 
Um, but to play 60 games, anything can happen in 60 games. Um, I also think, you know, this notion of seven inning double headers, starting, uh, you know, extra innings with a runner on second base and nobody out, that has changed the game. And so if somebody wants to say, yeah, but I get why they would say it. I, again, they all had to play under the same rules. Um, they still got to play in their home ballparks. Um, you know, the DH was for everybody in each league. I mean, it wasn't like, um, you know, they did something to one team and not the other or something that would favor one team and not the other. Um, but I, I, I get why people would say, yeah, that's not really great representation of what the best teams in baseball were because it was simply too too short of a sample size. Well, yeah, I mean, um, if you're going to compare them to the all-time great teams, I, I don't – yeah, I could, I definitely see that's not a, a fair comparison. You know, if the Dodgers end up setting a you know a percentage record of wins, let's say, yeah, you know, but to sit there and say they're the greatest team ever, no, I wouldn't go that far with it. But right, sixty games. But is the there sample. an asterisk because they didn't deserve to win if they go on and win the World Series? Is there an asterisk no. by it because I, I don't think because so. of some? No, I mean, yes, this year is different, and and if mm-hmm. you're going to compare, you know, a home run champ over 162 games, you know, based on what he hit over 60 and extrapolate, and it would beat 73. No, I don't count that. Yeah, but. But to go, you know, to win the World Series, everyone's going through the exact same scenarios. There's not an unfair advantage for one team over the other, so it's a legit right. title. It's just, yes, it's different. Yeah, it's it's different because the game the game is different, and maybe some teams were were better prepared or built to do whatever it is they're doing in mm-hmm. this shortened season. They're, you know, runners on second and seven in games, whatever pitching depth. Well, even the National League, National League. I mean, those teams aren't built for the DH, and also at the last the minute DH. they got thrown. Hey, you get a DH now. That's a great point. That's a great point. And so, yeah, certain teams were able to handle that probably more than others. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't think that they'll be asterisked by by either league. I think at the end of the day, people will remember, um, you know, whoever wins the World Series champion as the World Series champion, whoever wins the Stanley Cup will have their name on it, just like everybody else. Bob asked. As we know, 2020 is a year like none other. Do you think that in a year with no preseason games and no scrimmages with other teams, that success will hinge largely upon the quality of coaching, at least early on? That is, in addition to having the Jimmys and the Joes, it will be more important to have quality X's and O's. Well, I mean, I think I think the NFL is a coach's league, right? It's a coach quarterback league. So those teams that have those two elements, the coaching and the quarterback, uh, we're watching one, you know, play uh, the first game of the season, the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, Patrick Mahomes this is his third year. Um, he's won an MVP of the league. He's won an MVP in the Super Bowl. Uh, he's thrown 50 touchdowns. He's been with Andy Reid. This team has been together for a while. To me, they have a huge advantage, right? Um, Sean Payton and Drew Brees should have a huge advantage because they have 215 games together, won a Super Bowl. If the core of that team is is a veteran group, um, it's definitely going to favor guys that have older team, or when I say older, but that have veteran teams, teams that um, that know how to play the game. Because the rookies simply didn't have the off season; they simply didn't have even preseason. There's no acclimation period for them, um, and and so those teams are going to struggle. If you have a young quarterback, if you have uh, a new scheme, you know, uh, look, Ron Rivera is a great coach. I think he's a really good coach, underrated probably in some respects. But he's not going to win big in Washington this year, right? Um, but I, I think that I think the Sean Paytons, the New Orleans Saints teams that have been together, um, and I would even say, in the case of of this team, you know, it's the first year for Brady 
uh, obviously, you know, with uh, with Bruce Arians, but football's football, and Brady has seen so much um, that he can adapt, and the core of his team are back together. It's not the first year of a system. If you're coming in and you're you're Matt Rule, you're one of these guys, you know, that, that it's a first-year program, Ron Rivera, you probably don't have a very good chance, particularly if you have a young quarterback, um, the guys that have been that have been there that have done that that have faced all kinds of adversity, um, all kinds of you know different things that have gone on, they're going to be able to cope better. So, coaches always win. You know, there's a reason why Belichick's and um, you know before that, you know the Chuck Knowles and the Bill Walshes, right? And and these guys won multiple Super Bowls. The Jimmy Johnsons, good coaching wins. It's a coaches league. It's a it's a quarterback coach league. And I don't think that'll change. I think it'll be more emphasized. I think it'll be even more so um, that the experienced quarterbacks, particularly if they've been with these head coaches for any length of time, I think those are the teams you're going to see. So I would say when you look at Pittsburgh, right, if Ben Roethlisberger can get through a season, if his arm is healthy, his elbow, um, the Steelers have a good defense. They have continuity in coaching with Mike Tomlin. That team could easily go deep into the playoffs and maybe even go to a Super Bowl. Um, That's what I'm talking about. So, the newcomers, you know, is Arizona going to go this year? Mm, maybe not. It's only the second year of their program. I know everybody's high on Kyler Murray. Uh, San Francisco, they've been together now. They've been to the mountaintop. They probably have a little better chance than than some teams. You know, Seattle, Russell Wilson, and Pete Carroll have been together. Um, you know, I think, I think you're going to see those kind of teams that are going to rise to the top. I don't think there's going to be a surprise team that kind of comes out of nowhere with a young quarterback that nobody saw coming. All right, Matt asks, what's your prediction for the Bucks' record this year? Playoffs? Do they become the first team to play the Super Bowl at home? Playoffs? Well, just trying to win a game. Play Playoffs? Um, they, are, uh, they better make the playoffs because everybody does, and if they don't, then what was this all about, right? I think they make the playoffs. I'm not sure I'm picking them to win the division, most people that I've talked to fall around, you know, 10, 11 wins um, for the Bucks, And I think, I think this year 10 wins will get you in because of the expanded playoffs. It may not win the division. I still think that New Orleans um, probably wins that with 11 or 12. Um, and, I, and I don't know that I would pick. I'm going to give you a tell here. I don't think I would pick the Bucks in week one. Uh, when they play him again, however, uh, at Raymond James, I think I might favor the Bucks because by that time they'll have more, you know, more experiences together, and they will have figured out some things, assuming injuries don't take their place. So I think they make the playoffs. I think they're going to win ten or eleven games. Let's give them. A, let's give them eleven and five. What's tough is that not many teams go on the road. If you're a wild card team, it's really hard to go on the road and win three weeks in a row. Um, but if there was going to be a guy that did it, although if you go back and you look at Brady's history, I believe most of his Super Bowls, if not all, um, were when they had home field advantage, if I'm not mistaken. I think most of the time, you know, he's playing at home. Um, he's got a bye the first week. And this year, only the top seed gets a bye um, because you have the extra playoff team. So, I don't. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Um, could they go to it? Yeah, I mean, you know, you'll take the goat in the postseason any day of the week because he knows how to get you there. So you can put him in the game if you want to. Um, 
I think more realistic would be like NFC Championship, and then let's just see what happens there. But um, it's it's awfully hard to think. Although you know he's the guy that can do it, if anybody could. But it's awfully hard for me to think that he's going to come in here in year one, um, not only go to the Super Bowl but win it. And it's never been done before in the hometown. So I'm somewhere around 10, 11 wins, wild card, maybe advance to the playoffs in the championship, maybe even go to the Super Bowl. I don't know. Um, but to sit here and go, yeah, no, they're going to win it all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I've seen that just yet. I think I think people are underestimating, as great as he is, even if he pulls this off, whatever he accomplishes this year in Brady, um, if <laughs> I don't think they'll fully appreciate what he's trying to do and how hard it is. In a pandemic, no regular offseason, Zoom calls, Berkeley prep, um, no preseason games. Not that he played a ton of preseason, but it would have been nice with a new team to get out there on the field with him and do some things. If he pulls this off, I mean, they'll they'll be they'll be talking about Tom Brady, you know, for the next two centuries. Um, because this this will be this will be a year like no other to prove his greatness. And he's motivated by that. But I, I think that people don't appreciate just how hard of a job this will be, you know, because it's it's not a franchise that's won either. You know, it's it's you're trying to instill culture. You are the culture. Uh, and you're trying to drag these guys along with you. And they're sitting there looking at you going, okay, prove it. You know, okay, take us to the Super Bowl. And that's just the way it is in pro sports. You know, one thing that hasn't been talked a lot about because we just don't know, but there's the narrative that Brady, you know, all the times he gets to the Super Bowl, it's a lot of home field advantage, the bye week particularly. Mm-hmm. We don't know what home field advantage is going to look like in January. That's a great point. We don't know be, if stadiums are going to be full a or yeah. a bubble or it's just 25% full. I mean, that, that, that same home field advantage. May not matter. And, and, you know, and part of the home field advantage that Brady always had was it was in the snow and cold up there. Yeah. You know, we don't know where he'll play. He could be playing in New Orleans or, you know, assuming they're on the road, let's just say, or Los Angeles or, you know, somewhere where it's, it's not that. So Dallas, we we don't know what home field advantage is going to look like come January. I mean, it it could be, we could have full stadiums or 50% or we we just don't know yet. So So it may not matter. What you're saying is it may not matter because you might not have home field advantage, but it's just another game, maybe even at a neutral site. Because they may decide to quarantine these guys in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, baseball is talking about going to a bubble in the playoffs. And, right, and I can see the NFL doing that. I could. I mean, you know, if, if, if that's what it's going to take to prevent outbreaks and stuff, seeing how well the NBA and the NHL have done in their bubbles. Absolutely. And both have been a huge success as far as continuity of games the, and not having COVID outbreaks. In that, for the yeah. postseason, absolutely. Yeah. Where, you know, much like, you know, the reason that it works like in the NHL is, okay, yes, you took 24 teams to the bubble, but within a month, 16 of those teams were home. They were home, yeah. You know, so only eight teams are staying in a, a long time in that bubble. Well, the NFL right. playoffs takes, what, three weeks or whatever till you get to the yeah, Super Bowl? One, you're so, one and done, so yeah. I mean, you know. So yeah. if, if they want to go to that system, they could do because there's no fans in the stands, they could easily do that. It's a month. And it's so four weeks. We don't know what home field advantage is going to look like, so... Yeah. This year, you know, just get in. I mean, you know, because right. and even if you're even if you're at name the state, New Orleans or wherever, it, maybe it's a quarter full. Is that the same home field advantage as if that place has sixty five, no. seventy thousand people in it? No, it's not. And I don't think we'll see a full stadium. I'm 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 not even sure you'll see it for the Super Bowl in February or March or whenever mm-hmm. they play the game. I mean, I 
I still think that'll be too soon. There may be fans there. I don't think it's going to be like it would was in Miami a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the crowds will be minimal. Um, you know, by that time, people would have adjusted to the to the piped in noise, all of that, and they're going to have to find places that they you know where weather is not a factor. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna get these guys in a semi bubble, or you want to make sure you know, um, especially if there's any delays during the season, that you know that it's not a factor. So um, yeah, those those are great points. So okay, so let me. Let me uh, say that if that if it goes down like that, then I think they got a shot at the Super Bowl. But I just don't think they're going to win the division. I think that's and yet listen. Here's the other part of this. I I am probably wrong as rain. There is a part of me that wants to tell you right now that Drew Brees is not going to make it through the year without a noodle arm of his. Like his arm has regressed way past the point that Tom Brady's having. People talked about Brady in December last year. I remember his receivers couldn't get open and couldn't get separation. And yeah, maybe some of his ball, his, his spirals, you know, weren't as as tight as as you know were wobbly or whatever. Um, and that's what you got to watch. I mean, we see him out here in August, and he's throwing a ball in September just fine. But like a pitcher, how many pitches does he have left? You know, when he starts getting hit, when he um, when it's December, um, is his arm going to be as fresh as it is now? Probably not. Um, but I don't know that Breeze can throw the ball down the field like Sunday. I don't know how far he can throw it. Uh, or how accurate. And I think, you know, there's a lot of dink and dunk to their offense and some gimmicks with Taysom Hill, and they do a lot of things to kind of shield, you know, the fact that Breeze is not going to stretch the field like he used to. Um, And that'll be something to watch, I think, on Sunday. All right, Brian asks, do you think Leonard Fournette eventually takes a starting job from Ronald Jones? I do, unless Ronald Jones is all that in a bag of chips. But I think it's a tell because I don't think Leonard Fournette is here if they have confidence, the kind of confidence they say they have in Ronald Jones. Now, injuries are a big thing at that position, right? And so, remember, you're all in on Tom Brady. Like, Tom Brady, it's this year and next year. You hope to have next year. You sign for next year. But you have to, you have to, you know, put all your chips in the middle of the table. So it helps having depth because let's look at the running back position before they did all this, okay? So it's Ronald Jones – all right, and then behind him was Dari Ngumbawale, and then behind him was a rookie in Keyshawn Vaughn that probably would have been in your number two if you had an off season or a training camp, but you had neither, and he struggled. He was late with the COVID, all of that stuff, and he's looked not really that good. So if you've gotten Ronald Jones hurt first series of the first game, how good is your running game? Well, it's not very good. So they got Shady McCoy, and then they had an opportunity, you know, and it's like, hey – uh, what's that at the door? Opportunity knocking? We can go get a guy who's done it in this league that's different from the other running backs we have, you know, six foot, 228 pounds. Um, but I think it's it's sort of like, you know, it's a little like bringing Ryan Suckup in here, you know, for three days and saying he's quote-unquote competing. Um, as soon as Leonard Fournette knows what he's doing and he's a bigger part of this game plan, I still think he's going to be your best short yardage back. I think he might be your best pass protector. I think he could end up being your best receiver. He caught 72, 76 balls last year. And so if he's all that, then he's going to be on the field more than the other guys, you know? Um, but let's let's see if the competition angle uh, and competition brings out the best in everybody. Let's see if that, if that ignites a fire in Ronald Jones. They talk about Ronald Jones as if he's got, you know, Walter Payton type – 
uh, skills. And I know he's very strong and very fast, and I think he's worked on his game. I just say, you know, with running backs, that usually shows up pretty quick. You know, that that's one of those instinctive type positions. Now, there's assignment. You can't trust him on third down. It doesn't know where the, where the pressure's coming from. Isn't very good blocker. There's a lot of things that will keep you off that football field like it did last year with Ronald. But if he's the way they're talking about him, they're like, oh, that's the talent that kid has. Well, you know, talent's great. Now go do it. You know, um, potential is, is a terrible word sometimes. And, and he's got to do it. And if he won't do it, they got a guy behind him that has done it. And he's still 25 years old. So that's a long answer to saying, I think Leonard Fournette's going to lead this team in rushing. I think he's going to be the number one tailback at the end of the day. Um, he said the other day he's happy with his role for right now, right? Well, right now means he's been here 15 minutes. But he's still going to have a significant role in Sunday's game, we're told. And, um, you know, just be a matter of how Ronald does and how fast Leonard Fournette can catch up on the offense. All right, Ellis asked, which side of the ball has a better day on Sunday against the Saints, the Bucks' defense or the offense? I'm going to say it's the defense, simply because, you know, those guys have been together. They had atrocious games against the Saints, um, which was really they were put in bad positions. There was a lot of turnovers early in those games by Jameis. Um, yet I still think that they're a good run defense. That hasn't changed. It shouldn't have changed. I don't know if they'll be number one in the league, but they're pretty good. It's hard to move those guys and their corners have experience now they've been on the grass as we say with you know Michael Thomas they felt Alvin Kamara Uh, this is this is going to be a tackling game you know the thing that the Saints do so well is they isolate guys and they get one-on-one matchups and if you miss the tackle the guy's out the back door and, and it's a big play they get a lot of yards after after the catch as my good friend Scott Brantley used to say, was that Y A K Yak yards after catch? Um, but uh, it, it, you know, I I think when you look at, you know, who's going to get better, um, and I think Vita Vea can be better. I think, you know, having JPP start off the season opposite Shaq is going to be better, especially when he's as healthy as he's going to be all year. But to me, you know, the corners are better. I'm, I can't wait to see Antoine Winfield play. Um, I I think that the key is going to be those linebackers. Devin White, to me, is going to be a name that's going to burst onto the scene nationally. He was the defensive rookie of the year when he got healthy, uh, rookie of the month, the last two months of the season. And he, by all counts, is communicating more, is really running things back there, He's told you he wants five sacks and five interceptions. Scored a couple touchdowns last year. This is the perfect game for Devin White because he's going to be in space with a lot of running backs and tight ends. And if he can get those guys on the ground, they're going to have a good day. So I think the defense has a better chance simply because they're more familiar with Bowles' defense now. These guys have had experience on the back end. We know they're experienced up front. And I still think they have two of the best linebackers and tackling guys. So I'm going to say it's the defense has a better day. All right, Les ask. Rick, any update on the Bucks getting a long-term deal done with Shaq Barrett? Seems like they could free up even more cap space if they could get a deal done with him. If it would help, tell the Glazers that I sign off on keeping Shaq here long-term. Uh, you and everybody else would sign off on that, I think. You know, this is one where it's not just it's not Shaq's fault. It's not really the Bucks' fault. It's the COVID. I mean – it's hard to do $100 million deals 
right? Because you got to, it's a big chunk of your salary cap. But what they don't know is what next year's salary cap looks like. Are, do we play with fans? Do we play with any fans? Did each team lose $100 million? Well, the players share in that revenue. And so those designated gross revenues affect what next year's salary cap is. Say it's $180 million this year. What if it, what if it drops by $60, $70 million? Um, you don't know what you don't know. And so the only thing they could do was franchise him now. And in a way, it sucks for Shaq, right? Like he had great, hit the greatest timing in the world. He came here, fifth-year player, 14 sacks in his career in Denver, couldn't get a big contract. You know, I think only two teams offered him, Cincinnati and the Bucks. Gets a one-year, four-and-a-half prove-it deal, and boy, did he prove it. Leads the NFL in sacks, 19-and-a-half, and you're a free agent. You hit the lottery, man. You get the golden ticket. And he would have had his $100 million, except wah, 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 here comes the COVID, right? So now no one knows what the salary cap is. And look, most of those franchise players ended up signing for the franchise tag because nobody could get a deal done because it's just hard to do them not knowing what the salary cap is, not just in 2021, but 2022, et cetera. So it was good timing. It was the best of timings and it was the worst of timings. And, you know, not not that he's crying poor. He's making $15.8 million this year. And they could franchise him again or they could sign him to a long-term deal. But until they know, it's the same reason why they didn't sign him before the start of the season. It's not going to probably happen during the season. So my answer is no, they, he won't get a long-term deal until maybe next March when we have a little more information. But um, but that doesn't mean that he's going anywhere because, if if, you know, on the, other, on the other part of this is I don't think he's a one-hit wonder. I think he's too too skilled for that he has too many too much in his toolbox and it matters to him um so i think he's gonna have a good year will he get 19 and a half no probably not um but you know the bucks can see right they can they can kind of like okay let's see what he is if he's a 10 sack guy a 12 sack a year guy that help makes you feel a lot better about you know committing 100 million dollars to somebody that's 27 years old michael asks could you see the Bucks signing any veterans after week one when contracts are no longer guaranteed? Um, it usually happens, but I, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know who's on the street right now that uh, that if they needed somebody that they wouldn't have already got them. But I suppose that's a possibility. The weird thing is, is that if you needed somebody now, I mean, you've seen Josh Rosen, you've seen, you know, Josh McCown. I mean, you've seen veteran players at at, at a lot of positions, including kicker. Um, go in and sign even practice squad contracts, right? Um, because it's less money, obviously, but they're able to protect more of those guys and you kind of have, for a one year anyway, kind of a taxi squad if you have COVID, if you have different things that go on. So if they haven't done it yet, um, I don't know what veterans that are out there that they necessarily would would be waiting for week two. you know. And, and frankly, I think they like their football team. I mean, there's no... Barring some injuries, I don't. I don't think they see a ton of weakness. They see depth in the secondary. Yeah, you could have more guys off the edge, perhaps. Um, but I, like I said, I, there's not a lot of guys on the street right now that can really, really play, or they'd be in a camp. I mean, remember, uh, the NFL just cut half the guys that were in camp. They just cut a thousand or fifteen hundred players, you know, just past weekend. So if you weren't in a camp, you're now out there with everybody else. All right, Michael asks. How do you think Jeff Scott and Mike Norvell will do this year? I think they'll do fine. I mean, I I don't you know Norvell I I don't know as much about, but I mean I think Jeff Scott 
Um, you know, both those guys got dealt a bad hand, you know, being, you know, first year coaches, you can't put in a program, you're having virtual meetings, um, very abbreviated uh, practices and things like that. USF needs to upgrade their recruiting. I mean, Charlie Strong did not do him any favors. They didn't leave him a lot. So even though, you know, I, I know, you know, he doesn't necessarily believe, Scott doesn't necessarily believe in the transfer portal, but he's had to do it. And he, I think he's done it pretty well. Um, I saw where people were picking them last in the uh, AAC. I think it's just that, that I don't think it's a knock on Jeff Scott. I think it's they don't think there's enough talent on the roster. And there's not a ton of talent, but I, I will say this. I, I think they're going to be better than East yeah. Carolina. I think they're going to be better than Tulsa. I think they win four or five games. But the other thing is, as a new coach, you didn't have a spring football program to put in your system. Yeah, nothing, and, nothing. You know, So there's a lot of that, too, of – yeah, you know everything's changing, and yet you didn't get a chance to implement it the way you would have wanted to. Exactly, exactly right. So they're not going to have a great year. Norville, I mean, you know, USF schedule is pretty tough too. I mean, that's the other part is they're play, playing all the top teams. They're going to Notre they're, Dame, they're yeah, they're they're at Cincinnati, they're at Memphis. Yeah, um, you know, they all get the UCF. Tough. They, I mean, they get all the top teams in the AAC. They're playing at Houston. Yep, they're mm-hmm. going to go to Notre Dame. You know, mm-hmm. and that's non-conference, but. Yeah. Uh, they have a really tough schedule, so that that's not doing yeah. them any favors either. So I give him four four or five wins, and if they do that, they should be really really happy with the job he did under the circumstances. Florida State, I don't know because I don't I don't uh, know the A. a-, a- well, I think they know, the need ACC, they, they have a lack of talent there too that right. is going to need to be upgraded. Uh, you know, I mean, we know Willie Taggart what didn't recruit a quarterback in his two no. years, or you know, barely did. Yeah, uh, I mean, recruited him, but wasn't able to land. I don't him, have so. high expectations for Florida State. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take both of those coaches, you know, some time, particularly the hand they were dealt this off season. Yep, I agree. All right, Malik asks, "What's up with Tyler Johnson?" Meaning, and this is the hockey team. He's been the worst <laughs> okay, player on the, the ice. Guy ain't playing either. <laughs> He's been the worst player on the ice for the Lightning, minus six and only three points in fifteen games this playoffs. Yeah, Steve, you we talked about this before the podcast, and, and I'll let you answer. I mean, basically. Um, you know, he's playing on a line to try to shut down the other team's best line. Yeah, it's to be honest, it's a little disappointing the Sorelli, Kalorn, Johnson line that you're not noticing them more in this playoffs. Um, you know, and it's it's you know we we've talked about and Anthony Sorelli just finished fourth in the Selkie Award that was awarded tonight, um, and that award is to the best defensive forward in hockey, essentially. Uh, usually Patrice Bergeron is is winning that. Uh, he finished second this year. Sean Couturier, the Flyers, won it. But for Anthony Sorelli to get noticed as the fourth on this list, as young as he is and as overshadowed as he is by stars on this team, from Braden Point to Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman and that, that it's it's been disappointing that you're not noticing that line as much. Um, it's something that we've we've kind of talked about of, wow, you know, you're not seeing much from them. But Look at the other team's top lines, and, and outside of like the Boston game one, uh, when when the, the 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 Bergeron line scored a lot, their top lines are not doing much, and it, a lot of it is because that Sorelli Kalorn Johnson line is shutting them down. And so in this playoffs, they've taken more of a defensive role, which has allowed the Point Kucherov line to explode the way it has because you're taking out their top line, and your top line's now executing. So. I'm not saying he's played a great playoffs at all by any means. Um, I, th- I think you've seen some mistakes by him, and, and, and particularly that line too, which has been a little disappointing. But I don't think the just looking at three points in 15 playoff games is an accurate depiction of 
what he's contributed in this playoffs. That line's role right now is very defensive-minded and, and not allowing the other team's top lines to go off. And they've done an effective job of that this playoffs. And maybe he ends up being the guy that goes on the Braden Point line and we'll see some some opportunities for him created by Kucherov and the others. Yeah, I mean, it'll be you know, obviously Kalorn's not going to be on that line tonight as he's suspended. So, you know, just and, and if if Point can't go, then you're going to see a lot of lines jumbled, and, and maybe that will help Tyler break out offensively because he may be on a, a, a sure. line that's more offensively geared if that happens. So, yeah. you know, we'll Kucherov and anybody is a good offensive line, right? Well, that's true. The, way that, the guy sets you up. Um, you know, he's like a great point guard in basketball. So. Yeah, the other Tyler Johnson has been hurt, and he's not doing much for the Bucks. so I expect him to be inactive on Sunday. All right, some great mailbag questions. Uh, boy, what an exciting weekend in sports we have. Of course, everything is happening at once. The Rays, by the way, lost to the Red Sox. That was a disappointing game. <laughs> they had a chance to win that. Um, boy, by the way, Austin Meadows. Three in a row now they've lost? They lost three in a row. They're in a losing streak. Oh, no, we Cold suck again. Ice. That's right, exactly. <laughs> Um, but the next three uh, games, I got um, Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now, and Charlie Morton pitching. So feel a little better about that. They got to get the bats going. The bats are just dead, just completely not not doing anything. Um, but we got a busy weekend, of course. Um, well, Sunday with, uh, particularly. Lightning, and then Sunday, man, it's a smorgasbord. You got um, what the Lightning start at three o'clock. The, well, the, the Rays are first at, at one. Oh, the Rays are the at Red one. Sox. Okay. Yep. Okay. The Lightning will be probably about a three twenty puck drop. Yeah, and the Bucks are four twenty-five. Yeah, Bucks are four twenty-five. So those two games are definitely going to overlap. The Lightning will overlap with both. The Rays could should be done by the time the Bucks start. So may just need two TVs on on Sunday. Although if you want the Red Zone on another channel, then you're going to need a third TV. So yeah, well I won't be I, I won't be here. Let's see, is that Saturday or Sunday? Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, I'll be in New Orleans. Yes, you will be. So I won't be able to watch those games, but um, and USF got, plays Saturday night against the Citadel. So they the Jeff Scott yeah. era opens. That game's been moved to ESPNU now. So right was initially on ESPN Plus. So that's a good move for USF and right. So Jeff Scott era gets underway Saturday night as well. All right, and the Arkansas State Red Wolves playing at Kansas State at 11 a.m. on Fox. Make sure you check that out as well. The always important Red Wolves. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's that's our podcast. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, follow the Bucks and follow me uh, on TampaBay.com. Uh, we'll be out there talking to Bruce Arians uh, today. Final tune up, uh, and then they're on the plane on Saturday. We'll, we'll update you on Mike Evans and all of that. Um, so uh, have a great weekend for Steve. Yeah, versus and the next Gumbers. podcast you'll do oh, from sorry. New Orleans. So I will be in New Orleans. You're right. Yeah, it'll probably be uh, maybe me and Ed and Cena might talk a little bucks after the game, or me and you. I don't know which. Um, but yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be. Hey, it's going to be interesting. I don't know what to expect. I truly don't. Um, I could make an argument. All I know is that a couple years ago, Ryan Fitzpatrick went in there against a really good New Orleans team and put 48 on those guys, and I didn't see that coming. And, and he threw four touchdowns and 300, uh, 400 yards of passing. So if he can do that, Tom, the greatest quarterback on earth, could do it, right? Um, then again, you know, I think there's a part of me that says New Orleans is tired of hearing about the Bucks and Tom Brady. And it's like, hey, wait, didn't we win the division the last three years? And they may have just a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> so um, I don't know what to expect. That's what's great about football. You know, we're, we're kind of in a, in a, you know, my gosh, I still have this Tom Brady's going to lead – Another team out on the field besides the New England Patriots. How weird is that? You know, it's just, it's going to be surreal. So follow us in the Tampa Bay Times. We'll have plenty of coverage from New Orleans. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.